Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by Netrick's Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Citrix recently published an article, CTX 477636, where they notified customers who have on-premises Citrix license servers that later this year, they will begin requiring the collection of limited licensed telemetry data from Citrix on-premises products. They state the data will help you avoid license compliance issues and better enable them to respond to your needs. The data collected will be limited to the telemetry data necessary to confirm license compliance and manage through the Citrix license server. They've created documentation that details a new licensing telemetry program and the data elements being collected. And customers are required to update to the latest version of the Citrix license server by March 31st, 2023 and continue regular updates of license server software within six months of new license server releases. They say that deploying the new license server is straightforward and designed to not impact production or non-production systems. And these releases are compatible with LTSR and current release deployments. They say if you are a fully cloud service customer without an on-premises license server, this update does not apply to you and no action is required. So they say that this will help customers, but I don't really believe that. I assume this is to get a better hold on the licensing and to ensure that um, customers are sticking to their license agreements and that they have visibility of all license usage or maybe better visibility of license usage. But regardless, it sounds like if you don't have the latest version by March 31st, 2023, that this could be an issue and presumably your products may stop working. So you may want to get on top of that. They say that it is pretty straightforward, which it is, but only really because uh, there is a grace period if something goes wrong. So hopefully the new version continues the path of success that uh, the Citrix license server upgrades have had. They are relatively straightforward and hopefully this update continues to be pretty straightforward. Citrix also recently announced end of sale for Netscaler perpetually licensed hardware, the MPX STX and perpetual software for VPX BLX effective on the 8th of March this year. Netscaler subscription licenses remain and will be preferred as the way to purchase Netscaler ADC starting from March 8th. And the affected products include Netscaler MPX and SDX hardware sold as perpetually licensed devices. Uh, This includes field conversions of MPX to SDX and throughput or addition upgrades. Uh, Perpetually licensed VPX BLX offerings will be end of sale too. 
low-end VPX subscription, which would be VPX 10 megabit per second and VPX 25 megabit per second will be end of sale as well. Netscaler Standard Edition will be end of sale on the 22nd of March for all models and Cold Sparrows will be end of sale from 8th of March. This notification only affects Netscaler ADC hardware and software that has perpetual licenses. Netscaler can still be purchased as a subscription license. And another Citrix note, which it's not surprising considering it's been a while since it became the uh, cloud group, cloud software group, uh, but Sharefile is decoupling accounts from Citrix Cloud and Workspace. And Citrix have published steps to set up your Sharefile only account. Uh, kind of a bummer in my opinion. Now it's been a while since I've tried the, the kind of files and productivity features of Citrix Workspaces. Uh, but in my experience, the kind of built-in native uh, Microsoft OneDrive and kind of Microsoft 365 integration did not work as well for real-time collaboration as Sharefile. So it is a bit of a bummer that that's going away. Another month, another Patch Tuesday. And this Patch Tuesday sees fixes for 77 vulnerabilities with the Windows updates, including three zero days. And the total rundown includes a 12 elevation of privilege vulnerabilities patched, two security feature bypass vulnerabilities, 38 remote code execution vulnerabilities, eight information disclosure vulnerabilities, 10 denial of service vulnerabilities, and eight spoofing vulnerabilities. Nine of the vulnerabilities have been classified as critical as they allow remote code execution on vulnerable devices. And the zero days are CVE-2023-21823, which is a Windows graphics component remote code execution vulnerability. And Microsoft says this remote code execution vulnerability allows attackers to execute commands with system privileges, which is the definition. Uh, and the security update will be pushed out to users via the Microsoft Store rather than Windows Updates. Therefore, for those customers who disable automatic updates in the store, Microsoft will not be pushing out the update automatically. Another zero day was CVE-2023-21715, which is a Microsoft Publisher security feature bypass vulnerability. And this zero day vulnerability is in Microsoft Publisher and allows a specially crafted document to bypass office macro policies that block untrusted or malicious files. Exploiting this flaw would effectively allow macros in a malicious publisher document to run without first warning the user. So hopefully that one's got a pretty low surface level for attack. I don't think many organizations are deploying publisher. And the other vulnerability or zero day is CVE-2023-23376 which is a Windows common log system driver elevation or privilege vulnerability. And this vulnerability allows an attacker who successfully exploited this vulnerability to gain system privileges. And as always, patch, patch, patch. And also as always, around this time, other vendors also released their patches to coincide with this Patch Tuesday. So vendors like you know Mozilla, like Citrix, like Adobe also have patches available. And one such customer who also released their own patches is Citrix, who have released a CTX article, CTX 477616, uh, describing a vulnerability that has been identified that if exploited could result in a local user elevating their privilege level to NT security slash system on a Citrix virtual apps and desktops Windows VDA. 
This one is listed as CVE-2023-24483, and it is an improper privilege management vulnerability. The vulnerability is set to affect Citrix virtual apps and desktops, uh, current releases, Citrix virtual apps and desktops versions before 2212, the long-term service releases, uh, 2203 LTSR before CU2, and also Citrix virtual apps and desktops 1912 LTSR before CU6. The fixes are contained in Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops version 2212 and later, uh, Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops 2203 LTSR CU2 and later, and also in 1912 LTSR CU6 and later. Citrix strongly recommends that customers upgrade to a version that contains the fixes as soon as possible. And another set of vulnerabilities from Citrix, this time is CTX 477617. And these vulnerabilities have been identified that collectively allow a standard Windows user to perform operations as system on computers running Citrix workspace app. And these are listed as CVE-2023-24484 and 24485. And 24484 is an improper access control vulnerability where a malicious user can cause log files to be written to a directory that they do not have permissions to write to. And there are some preconditions here. The local user access to a system where a vulnerable version of Citrix Workspace app for Windows is later installed or uninstalled by a system process. So for example, using SCCM running the system context. And with 24485, that's also an improper access control vulnerability. The same pre-existing condition exists, i.e must have been installed with the system context. And this affects Citrix Workspace app versions before 2212, uh, Citrix Workspace app 2203 LTSR before CU2, and Citrix Workspace app 1912 LTSR before CU7 Hotfix 2. And the issue has been addressed in Citrix Workspace app 2212 and later, Citrix Workspace app 2203 LTSR CU2 and later, and also in that Citrix Workspace app 1912 LTSR CU7 Hotfix 2 and later. So in addition to the mitigating factor of having been installed in the system context, customers who use the automatic update feature of Citrix Workspace app for Windows will automatically receive updates and may therefore already be protected against these issues. So if you're allowing automatic updates to occur, then just check to make sure they're on a secure version. Otherwise, update as soon as possible. Also with this patch Tuesday, the retired out of support Internet Explorer 11 desktop application has been permanently disabled through an Edge update on certain versions of Windows 10 and will now redirect to Microsoft Edge if a user tries to access it. They say that the IE11 visual references, such as the IE11 icons on the start menu and taskbar, will be removed by June of this year. The IE11 desktop application will remain in support on certain versions of Windows 10, including Windows 10 IoT long-term service channel, Windows Server LTSC, Windows 10 Client LTSC, and Windows 10 China Government Edition. They say for those with the Windows 7 extended security updates, which is no longer actually applicable, I believe, uh, that Microsoft Edge version 109 will be the last supported version on Windows 7, so extra note there. And likewise, on Windows 8.1, or 8.1, uh, Microsoft Edge version 109 will also be the last supported version on that. So not even just IE11, but Edge 
is going to be uh, end of life for those operating systems. I should add that some early indications from the community via the patch mailing group suggest that on Windows Server 2022, I believe, uh, that in some instances, this patch for Edge seems to fail. So uh, as always, test the patches first. Also with this patch Tuesday, or this week at least, uh, Apple rolled out security updates for iOS, iPadOS, macOS, and Safari to address a zero-day flaw that it said has been actively exploited in the wild. According to the Hacker News, this is tracked as CVE-2023-23529, and the issue relates to a type confusion bug in the WebKit browser engine that could be activated when processing maliciously crafted web content, culminating in arbitrary code execution. Apple said the bug was addressed with improved checks, adding it's aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited, and an anonymous researcher has been credited with reporting this particular flaw. Users are advised to update to iOS version 16.3.1, iPadOS version 16.3.1, macOS Ventura version 13.2.1, and Safari 16.3.1 to mitigate potential risks. This is not the first vulnerability in this WebKit, so it seems to be a common target here. Microsoft has suggested that some WSUS servers upgraded to Windows Server 2022 may fail to push Windows 11 version 22H2 updates that were released during the month's Patch Tuesday to endpoints across enterprise environments. BleepyComputer.com reports the updates will download to the WSUS server, but may not propagate further to client devices. This known issue only affects WSUS servers that were upgraded from Windows Server 2016 or Server 2019 to Windows Server 2022. The underlying cause is reported as being down to .msu and .wim MIME type files being accidentally removed during the upgrade process to Windows Server 2022. Microsoft Configuration Manager is not affected by this issue. There is a manual workaround available while waiting for Microsoft to fix, and I'll share that or a link to that with this episode, which you'll find at 5 bitespodcastcom and it's episode 269. So I wasn't at IGEL Disrupt this week, but I saw that Microsoft talked about Windows 365 for shift workers during the event. A slide seemed to indicate that you can maximize your technology investment with a single Windows 365 cloud PC for up to three employees. As I was not at the event, I don't have the full details on this. I'd be interested to see how that works. Presumably you can assign three users to the same cloud PC and then they can access that. Uh, but I saw also that Steven Dingmans also shared on Twitter that Microsoft is working on a new offering designed for shift workers or part-time workers that only need a cloud PC for a limited amount of time each day or week. So I'm wondering if this is also part of this shift worker initiative, which sounds like it will still be an always on cloud PC that's just shared across multiple users, rather than maybe a power managed machine that you know goes off for two weeks and is on for two weeks when a certain person is working uh, and is only billed for two weeks a month. But uh, I guess that remains to be seen. It would be good to have more flexibility. VMware announced general availability of Workspace ONE Marketplace, which contains some out-of-the-box templates, scripts, and other resources for admins that can help with vulnerability reporting and security management. 
uh, some remediation scripts for hopefully automating some common issues that are encountered within the organization, and also sensors to help trigger and uh, run those automated remediation scripts, plus more. For full details, uh, check out the link that I'll share with this episode. Following up on a story that was reported on last week's episode of the podcast, which was that ESXi ARG's ransomware campaign that had hit several organizations, I believe had already hit over 2,400 ESXi hosts at the time we reported last week. Well, at the time on last week's episode, I shared that the CISA in the United States had released a recovery script publicly. Uh, unfortunately, it appears according to angry sysops on Twitter, that the ransomware has since been updated to elude those attempts at remediating uh, the attack. So, unfortunately, that recovery script is now defunct just as quick as it was released. Something I also saw on Twitter this week, but Bruce Sa put out a question to the community asking, does anyone know if AppLocker is not working properly in Windows 11 22H2? Uh, he's seeing that some stuff says allowed, and some, if specifically blocked, will be blocked, but most show event ID 8003 saying would have prevented from running if the app locker policy were enforced. But it is enforced, but it's, it's apparently not appearing as being enforced on the client. So, major issue. Um, I'm assuming, as my buddy Jeremy said on Twitter, this is maybe further indication that no one is actually using uh, Windows 11 quite yet. And just to wrap up the news for this week, uh, just to let you all know that early bird tickets are now on sale for the App Manage event, which will be held in the Netherlands on October 6th. The early bird fee is only 125 euros, and this early bird is only available till June 1st. This is a really great event. I got to attend it last year. I'm hoping to attend it this year as well. And for 125 euros, that is a bargain. So if you're considering going, now is a great time to buy. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Johan Vanjevold, I blogged this week or posted a blog this week on configuring Azure AD Kerberos on an Azure file share with Terraform. And this is great for those who want to use Azure AD Kerberos uh, for your FSLogix file shares, for example. So AD Kerberos is something I covered last year uh, that was in preview for quite some time. And it's essentially a requirement if you want to use FSLogix file shares on Azure files. And to promote some of my own content, which I try not to do too often, late last week, I posted a blog post and a video on my website uh, covering some chat GPT use cases for IT professionals. So I go through things like having it generate PowerShell scripts and I show some of the issues it can present when using it for creating PowerShell scripts. But I also go through some other interesting use cases too, so check that out. Yannick Reinhardt posted a blog post on how to create PowerShell scripts to automate tasks in Intune. So if you're into Intune and you're also a scripter, check out this blog post. The great Guy Leach shared that he'll be running a PowerShell workshop in London on the 24th of March, 2023, and there's only 10 places available. So if you'd like to attend that, be sure to get your name in now. And once again this week, a tip from Meryl Fernando, who shared a graph 
PowerShell command to get a list of all the users and their last interactive sign-in timestamp. So graph is becoming much more widely used and required. So this could be a good example if you want to get your beak wet a little bit. And he also shared some samples at aka.ms slash graph samples with more examples too. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Like I said last week, I was traveling this week. I did want to make sure I got an episode out. Unfortunately, the machine I usually use for uh, doing the podcast bricked itself while I was over here. So I had to run out and get an adapter for my other laptop. Hopefully the audio quality is okay. I'm also using the microphone I use for travel, so it's going to be different no matter what. But hopefully it is passable, and I'm hoping my machine, I can get back working again uh, when I'm back in Ireland next week, and that uh, service will resume as normal. But regardless, thank you so much for your support, and thank you so much for listening.